Good morning. I am Pastor Zach Rainey. If you can't remember my last name, I'm just the old one with the ponytail. Till I get a haircut. I was born in 1959 and I am 59 today. So I, I made up a thing. If, if you're the same age as the year you were born, your wife has to buy you twice as many presents. I made that up for myself. And Jeremy, you can borrow that if you'd like. So, um, I, I got a good, a nice blessing today. I've been, several of you have blessed me this week by things you've said or done. And uh, in between services, I went over to see if they survived without me. And uh, Tui and Anderson Bell are, are two little boys who uh, sometimes, um, they're just boys, let's put it that way, okay? And they looked at me and they said, where were you? Isn't that great? I was missed by Tui and Anderson. I love that. The elementary students, my wife Lizzie helps do the music in, in the areas and there's one song that she sings. We sing a lot of scripture songs. We believe in the Bible. And of course, we're talking about keeping God's word today. But she's got one song where the kids do this motion. They lift their hands up and they sing, I love your word. I love your word, oh God. And it just, it's so moving to see elementary boys and girls, instead of punching somebody in the throat, just with their hands up, I love your word. Uh, uh, Last semester, I taught a connect group for boys and girls on Wednesday night, and this is the type of stuff I would do to emphasize the importance of God's word so you guys can do this along with me today. For one thing, we need to read it. So point at your eyes, or if you're not old enough to read yet, you may point at your ears and say, hear it, okay? <laughs> Hearing and reading are the same avenue, okay? So say, read it. Well, you guys are awesome. You're doing very well. Point at your brain. Your brain is up here, teenagers. Okay. All right. Point at your brain and say, study it. At your heart. No. I can't believe I would make a mistake. That's not like me. Say this. Memorize it. And... You, now you've already seen the conclusion, so it doesn't matter. No. Now make big muscles, okay? And obey it, because with our whole life, with our body, we obey, we live out God's word. And Luke, in chapter 11, kind of creates a thread. You started chapter 11, Pastor Zach, talking about our Father, who art in heaven. How beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? disciples saw John the Baptist and they, re and they remembered John was a man of prayer. What a thing to remember, right? And they said, teach us to pray. Beautiful sermon, beautiful passage. And then last week, Jim Walsh got that great one you've memorized, ask, seek, knock, and, and led into the idea Jesus emphasized, out of all things to emphasize that we would pray for, pray for the Holy Spirit. Beautiful passage. And then on my birthday, they said, Zach, you get this one. Where Jesus casts out a demon, you know. How come you guys get the beautiful ones? 
but this is the one I've got. Chapter 11, verse 14, where Luke is going to lead us into from prayer, asking for the Holy Spirit, to the all-importance of keeping God's word. Verse 14. And I'm going to break it up. It's a long passage, but it, it goes quick enough. Verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from, a, from him a sign from heaven. Demon possession is not natural. It is not a physical illness. It cannot be cured by natural intervention. In Acts chapter 19, do you remember the sons of Sceva? That incident contraindicates the use of incantation or invocation by any person or group of persons who are not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And even the name of Jesus used by someone who was not filled with the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus was powerless in Acts 19 to cast out that demon. And we cannot de-supernaturalize the Bible. This exorcism of a demon here is a miracle. And it should only be attempted through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. The devil is strong. You didn't say amen that time. First service, I said the devil is strong and Deanne says amen. (laughs) The devil is strong, but God is all-powerful, almighty, omnipotent. Now, it's when the demon had left and the guy spoke, it says that the, the crowd marveled at Jesus. Don't you want to be marvelous too? So the crowd marveled at Jesus. But you read here, Jesus did not perform this miracle, this act of supernatural deliverance because he wanted people to notice him, because he wanted to impress the crowd, because he wanted to be popular. Jesus just saw a man that needed help. A man that needed delivered from a demon and to Jesus that is easy. And so he just did it. The power of God is not a path to popularity. The response to this supernatural miracle was marvel. And then the response to the marvel gets a little bit crooked here. There's some jealousy. There's some denigration of Jesus by the crowd. Because anytime you have a crowd, you don't have a unified group. The Bible talks about a double-minded man. A crowd has to be at least triple-minded. Because look at the response to this crowd. Some of them are in awe. Oh, Jesus is marvelous. And then others respond, yeah, but he's doing it because he's, he's doing it with the power of the devil. I remember growing up in, uh, when I was a teenager, and you know, somebody would be up front dancing in the spirit, and somebody would be in the back. Well, they're in the flesh. I can tell. <laughs> Evidently, they were from Oklahoma. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know where the voices come from. Um, anytime you get a crowd of people, you get a mixed response. Oh, it's, it's by the power of the prince of devils that Jesus does these things. And then another crowd, group of the crowd, they just said it wasn't enough. They said, give us a sign from heaven. 
That simply means give us what you did of casting the demon out of the guy. It's not enough, Jesus. We want something bigger. Give us a sign of astronomical proportions. I want to see it. Do it for us, Jesus. So anytime you get the crowd, you're not going to get everybody on the same place. Nothing is big enough to the selfish person. Jesus cared about the suffering individual more than whether or not his miracle would give him fame or acclaim or make him popular. Uh, If you want to, glance ahead to verse 29. Look what happens. Does the crowd run away like they do in John chapter 6? No. In verse 29, it says, when the crowds were increasing. That means more people were coming to see Jesus. After They must have spread the word. Hey, that guy that couldn't speak, Jesus cast a demon out. So they're all coming around, you know. And I'm going to admit to you that in my years of ministry, I have been jealous of people that are popular. I, I, I would love to be the guy that has crowds increasing. That would be cool. Any, any of you ever want to do something big for God? As long as it makes you famous? You ever feel that way? I would do something. God, I want to do something big for you. I want the power of God so I can impress people. The desire of wishing you could do something great for God is so that you can be seen by people is not actually a desire after God. The American entertainment industry has had a powerful influence on what we consider success in ministry. We marvel and we need to marvel at the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ and no one else. Jesus is an extraordinary person. Not because everybody thought he was marvelous but, or that he was famous, but simply because Jesus set that man free. That's what made him extraordinary. Next page. Look how big that is. You guys got time for this? So, you know, God make me marvelous. It is pointless to ask God to make you marvelous if you won't do the simple things that God wants us to do in the ministry as Christians. For instance, James chapter 1. And it uses the phrase that I wanted anyway. It says, true religion is keeping the word. God, make me great, but I I don't really want to have to obey what the Bible says. True religion is keeping the word. And then, how boring, caring for orphans and widows and keeping yourself pure. God's blessing is not the result of popularity. It's the result of keeping his word. Let's read verses 17 through 28. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges." But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And Jesus said these, as Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts of which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. On verse 20, how does Jesus describe the way he cast out the demons? Verse 20. He says, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons. God only needs to move his little finger to cast out demons. I'm not sure if the crowd caught on to this, but elsewhere in the Bible, the finger of God is an indication of God himself. Twice in Exodus, during the 10 plagues, the finger of God is mentioned as performing the, one of the 10 plagues of Egypt. It also mentions that when Moses was receiving the tablets of testimony, they were written by the finger of God. And then one of my favorites, Psalm 8, says, when I consider the heavens the work of your fingers. Jesus was claiming to be God, to have the power of God. In verse 20. In verse 21, I want to teach you a Greek word. All right? So I want you to understand the word for the strong man, the verb for guarding the palace. It's the word philoso. Philoso. No, not falafel. Austin, did you, Austin, did you say falafel? Actually, that sounds pretty good right now. Falafel. No, it's not falafel. That's just a delicious food. You know, anything you fry is going to be delicious. So. Um, philoso. Philoso is the word for guard. And it, Luke used it before. You've read this word. You didn't know because you're reading English. But when in the beginning of Luke, Jesus is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And there were shepherds. What were the shepherds doing? They were in the fields keeping their sheep is the way I memorize it in the old King James. Uh, they were guarding their sheep. So this word philoso is not a word for you trusting a 12-year-old girl to babysit. Oh, she'll take care of the kids, you know. <laughs> I guarantee she's on Netflix. She's on Netflix. She's not, she's not guarding your children. These are your children. Guard my kids. You kids understand? All right. You, do you understand this word? It's, it's not, oh, yeah, they, keep an eye on it. This is someone guarding a palace. What's the strongest guardian you can think of? So you got the idea of this word? Okay, because I got to come back to it because I want to challenge you to be guardians. 
of the palace. In, the, in verse 26 is another word that I need you to focus on. It talks about the demon, once he finds the house, is swept and clean. He finds seven other spirits. They come back to overpower the palace. And they dwell there. This is the same word, dwell, that you'll find over in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. For this reason, this is verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Dwell. It is not enough to try Jesus. I'll try Jesus, see if that works for me. Because it goes through our minds. I'll try, I tried that Bible thing. I tried that God thing. Well, it doesn't work if you just try it. There is no rent a Jesus. Dwell means that Jesus takes up permanent residence to never ever leave again I need the abiding presence of Jesus Christ permanently enthroned in the palace of my heart the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is not temporary it's not intended to be lost to fade to be traded for something different the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit cannot be disrupted or circumvented by demonic powers. And yet, in my own life, I've heard stories of men and women of God who somehow lost the vision, lost the faith. It probably wasn't because some demon went and got seven others and came back. I'll tell you what happened. Is that individual lost the focus and they replaced their holy treatment of holy things with a casual treatment of holy things. You can't just try Jesus, rent Jesus. This isn't a casual relationship. You make him master and Lord of your life. Number one, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the distinctive trait of believers redeemed by the blood of the Lamb which was provided for us through the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Do you see how demonic powers, they can't cross that. Number two, in the life of someone who identifies with the crucifixion of Jesus, the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit is transformation of character, a purified heart. The deconstruction of the armor of the of devils guarding the palace of the devil. The permanent placement of Jesus on his rightful throne. God created you for himself and no one else. 
the devil has no right to sit on the throne of your heart and to rule your life. If you are under the control of the devil and you have your palace swept clean, but you do not give permanent residence to Jesus Christ on the throne of your life in your palace, your last day will be worse than the previous because the cross is not a magical symbol. It's a place of actual miraculous change. When, you, when I think of all the guardians, in, you know, like, of course, I, I always go to guardians of the galaxy, but don't put that in your head. Don't even think about that. Don't even think about that. But it, whatever guardian that you think of, they, they always have like superpowers or super weapons. And those movies have some really cool weapons, like when they're fighting that, never mind. Um, those are fake. Do you guys know that's a movie? Okay, this is real. This is real. You want your life transformed and changed. And here is the word of God that tells you about Jesus Christ, the Savior. Tells you how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have Jesus permanently in your life. The cross of Jesus Christ will transform you from a sinner to a saint. I'm a miracle. You may look at me and think, I don't want a miracle if that's what one is. The cross uh, is not a magical symbol. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. That's what a crucified life says. The cross is not a mystical representation. It's a place where we die to self and we are regenerated. We're born again. Jesus did not die so that I could wear a sterling silver cross around my neck. Well, that's the symbol of me. The cross is not symbolic. It is an actual place where a miracle can take place in your life. It's not symbolic. It's Jesus died so that you can participate in the death and resurrection of him. So you can die to sin and receive a new life in resurrection power through Jesus Christ. With Jesus on the throne and not me on the throne. Whose palace are you? Your life, whose kingdom is it? Who's running things? Or you might be like this crowd. Give us a sign of astronomical importance. Maybe you're the person who says, I want God do something big for me and then I'll believe in you. Instead of saying, Jesus, tear down all the protection the enemy has had on my life. Dismantle it, deconstruct me gloriously. <laughs> Have you heard that one before? Take down all my defenses and make your kingdom in my life. You are my king. In verse 27, suddenly he's interrupted. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, let me tell you, let me give you some advice. Everybody, if someone is preaching, please don't interrupt them by yelling out the anatomical parts of women. I know... I know it's here in the scripture. I don't recommend this, Tony. So, maybe this was normal back then. I don't know. I, I got to be with my mom at my nephew's wedding last night. It was great to be with my mom, but guys, don't talk about my mom like this. 
It's like, this is uncomfortable. I don't read this verse in children's church. A woman raised her voice said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But, just move on, okay? Let's don't even discuss it. Jesus said, blessed rather. He said, and rather means, yes, my mom Mary is cool. But, more cool, more blessed, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and Keep it. Guess what Greek word that is? Philoso. Luke deliberately uses the same word talking about this demon guard protecting his spot in your life and switches it over that it is the word of God that guards your life. And you need to guard God's word. You need to keep it. God keeps you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, 3. And we sing this one in children's church. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? I honestly think that a young man is the most difficult one to keep their way pure. I believe that because I was one. And now I'm an old man. <laughs> so I read it, how can an old man keep his way pure? How can a young woman, how can we, how can we do this? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, no room for anything else. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you keep God's word? Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Live it. Say it with me. Read it. Study it memorize it, obey it, or live it. This is how we're going to keep God's word. In Luke chapter six, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Just reading God's word is not the end. We put it into action by obeying it. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a, a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. I never have to ask myself, oh, why did I lose it with God? There's the answer. You didn't keep God's word, Zach. So the devil is strong, but the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. Almighty God 
can live in your life. Be full of the Holy Spirit. And casting out demons is an extraordinary thing that Jesus did, but not as extraordinary as keeping the word of God. Verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. God blesses a repentant heart, a heart seeking after God instead of signs from God. Seeking a sign, what they were doing was they were looking for something else. Here was Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh. How many people would have said, oh, if I could see Jesus? There he was, and they missed it. They're looking for something else. And you have God's word right there on your iPhone 5 if you haven't upgraded And you keep looking somewhere else. God's word will change your life. It changed my life. It will transform you. God's word must become the greatest influence in your life. Let it become the guiding influence for your decisions, for your relationships, for your future. God's word must become the focus of your life. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. As when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Your eye is where all light comes into your body. And have you guys noticed I wear glasses? I wear thick glasses. You ought to see when I wear the full size. And man, they are thick because I have astigmatism mostly. I'm very nearsighted as well. Did you see me a while ago looking at something? I lifted my glasses. And in order to read this page, I like have to hold it right there. But I can see the molecules, so that's cool. But I also have astigmatism, which means that the light rays are prevented from meeting at a common focus. The glasses are supposed to correct that. Some of you have spiritual astigmatism. The light coming in from God, here's God's word telling me, but this is how I live. And they don't line up. God's blessing comes from keeping his word. You need to hear it and to keep it. Today, God can correct your focus. He can correct your heart seeking after other things. He can correct your vision of seeing God as somebody who will give you big signs. Do it for me, Jesus. And give you a a clear focus upon God. Would you close your eyes?
want you to ask yourself, what will clear up my vision? To give me a healthy view of life, a healthy view of God. The answer is it's the word of God. What will redirect your heart, the desires of your life? The answer again, the word of God. Not just to know it's there. Not just to have it on your, bio, on your phone unread. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Philoso, guard it. You need to become a palace guard and the word of God is your weapon. If you today need to commit yourself to the powerful word of God, I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute, in a second, and say, I'm standing to commit. I'm going to read it, study it, memorize it, live it. But if today you need to make a recommitment to the word of God in your life and the power of God in your life, I also want you to stand with them. So today, would you do this? If you will be the palace guard, guarding your life with the word of God, commit yourself or recommit yourself to God's word, would you stand? I commit myself to God's word. I recommit myself to God's word to keep it. Stand with me. Father God, we commit ourselves to your word. We will make it a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We will hide its words in our heart so that we won't sin against God. Spend some time in the Lord's presence as we sing this closing song.